Well, I want you to imagine, uh, well, I've got a question to begin with first. Anyone here a, a board game playing family or like, like playing board games with friends around them? So just put it up, you can, you can own that one, put up your hands. So this, so we've got a few over this side and then like more over this side. So maybe this is like the boring side or something like that, I don't know. Or may, maybe because of my, the next, where I'm going to go with this, there might be a reason that you're not a board game playing family. But but the thing is, you imagine like um, board games are meant to to bring people together. It's meant to be fun. And for most, I think for most people, at most of the time, people look forward to coming around and, and, and playing. But there are certain people and there are certain games that I think, like, well, not the people, but I think some of the games are almost demon-possessed. Like, they they are there to bring division. Okay, here's a game that could be possibly demon-possessed, Monopoly. Okay? I don't think I've finished a game of Monopoly in years and years and years because by the end of it, no one's talking to each other. And, and 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 that's for a whole lot of reasons. Like so, Monopoly. The idea of Monopoly brings well because you go, well, we're going to sit down and play Monopoly. It's going to take a few hours to play. We're going to have snacks. We're going to have like we're going to have like it's going to be fun. And then the game starts. You pick your favourite piece, and you get to the point where you sort of start rolling, and you get a good roll. And you oh yeah, I got this one, and and you sort of. We're trying to work out which rules you're going to be following because there's different rules that people play. And, and so you get started, and all of a sudden you start buying property. That's okay. And then then there's that one person that is just landing on everything that you don't want to land on. Um, and and so they they land on this, have to pay money here, and then they land on this and end up in jail. And land here and they miss out on getting two hundred dollars. And so they're already having a rough time. They're not enjoying things. They're smiling through gritted teeth. But then, then as people start getting properties, then the deals start getting made. And you may have people that kind of like, like I've I played. I'm going to sort of throw my some of my brothers under the, the bus here. That some of my brothers would be playing with younger kids, and they will manipulate and wheel and deal with the kids because they know they can. I oh, don't. You like this color card? How about we just do a straight swap? Oh yeah. I can give you two of these for one of those, and they end up with Park um, Mayfair and Park Lane, and it's like, and so all of a sudden they're, they're manipulating. We, you, everyone else is like, no, don't do that deal, but they're already hooked and they're done, and and so you've got those kind of deals happening. You've got people ganging up on other people, and you go, oh, that's not fair, and and then you start the houses and the hotels come out, and you land on stuff, and then. Because what makes it worse? What, what makes a board game worse when you've been playing for a few hours? All of a sudden, you've got to use mathematics to actually work out how much, how can I get some money back? From, I can mortgage this one and do this, and I can give houses back. And all of a sudden, it becomes a mathematical sort of equation to be able to sort of keep playing the game. And at the end of the game, well, the end the end that happens because no one wants to play anymore. Everyone just wants to go, oh, I'm, I'm done. Like, I quit. I can't, I can't win anymore. They quit. And then other people go, well, I'm going to quit as well. And, and all of a sudden, then you, you may even have people sort of going off in different directions and slamming doors and going, I'm not playing that game again for years. Like, it's, it doesn't actually bring a lot of unity. And, and the thing is, in life, much like Monopoly, there, is, there can be things that divide us. 
and 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 the thing is like there are there can be so many things that divide us that like even our values our, our what we believe in who we vote for it has actually got to the point in our world where you don't talk about who you vote for because someone could strongly disagree with you you could be the best of friends and you go i voted for for joe bloggs and all of a sudden they're going what like and they can't i can't be friends with you anymore and so all of a sudden we we're we're afraid of causing division and so sometimes we keep our mouths shut and then we go but well, I'm not happy with how that's going and 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 so the world is just full and it, the world is actually also putting on a highlight on a, on a, a spotlight on all the things that make us different you're old and you're young you're male and you're female you're black and you're white and you're blue because you've been out in the snow too long. Like you, you are from a different country and, and we're from this country. Like all of a sudden the world wants to say because of all these things that divide us, like there is going to be division. And yet when it comes to the church, like we see in, in, um, in Romans, um, um, no, it's not Romans. Blank, gone blank. But basically, where 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 the the epistles say that there is neither male nor female, Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, and 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 so Jesus has actually designed the church to have divisions to be unified. But how do we unify them? And again, we we sometimes we think about unity in a way where we want to work on unity through agreeance. So we try and convince everyone that my way is the best and, and we shouldn't do it your way because you don't know what you're talking about. But I'm not going to say that aloud. I'm just thinking that. You don't know what you're talking about, but I'm going, I'm going to convince you my way is the best or that person should do it, not that person. And so even, even the churches, when they're using human methods and human ways of, of thinking and philosophy, we actually get to the point where there is major, can be major division. And so with that, what we need to understand is that gratitude can make a huge impact in that because gratitude is something that can truly unite us. And today I want to look at that concept of how our, our gratitude and how we focus our gratitude all of a sudden becomes a unifying force amongst us. Because we actually have the opportunity to focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. So first of all, I want to look at the early church in, in the passage that Hans read for us before. Um, because we find division is something that is not, is not a, a modern thing. It is something that has been there for forever. Um, divisions in politic, politics is nothing new. Differences in opinions and belief are not uncommon. But... Um, we actually get the, the the actual point is that when we do not view our differences with high stakes, the various thoughts and beliefs and passions and flavor to life through intrigue and dynamic conversation bring about something some significant change, and 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 often can be bring around destructive change. However, when we make a cognitive decision to have friends with only the same viewpoints and moral beliefs, um, we get to the point that our churches are made up of people just like me. 
where there's no difference in thought, there's no difference in practice. And and you know what? Some churches like that, they'll start here in this age bracket, and then because it's churches for people just like me, they grow up in this bracket, and then they grow up into this bracket. I'm going to add one more bracket, and then after this bracket, they all fall off the edge together, and they go and be with Jesus, and the church is no more. And so you need, we actually do need difference. There are going to be times as a church that we're going to focus on our kids. Or there's going to be a need to focus on our families. There's going to be a need to focus on our, our owls. And, and it becomes a really important thing to go, hey, the church is actually made up of people with difference. Over the years, we've been blessed to be a church that have had people from different places. We've had people from, from Fiji. We've had people from the Philippines. We've even had people from a strange place they call England. So they, like, they, they've just, they've got all these weird practices and everything, and they, they talk in a strange way, but we, they're welcome here. But the thing is, right from the beginning, the early church was about overcoming those differences in unity. The church, early church, was a shabby bunch. Um, I'm only going to touch that one. I'm not talking about you. The early church was a shabby bunch. They came from all walks of life and consisted um, consisted of wearing a vast array of, I suppose, different social sort of um, strata. Jesus' circle, that what Jesus began with, was mostly um, social outcasts people that didn't actually fit in with the mainstream of, of society. They were uneducated, the poorest of the poor, sick, despised, and they continued to follow him after the resurrection. And however, too much of their dismay, their new following did not lead to birthing a new political consortium and revolution. Instead, a faith community arose, which was the early church. A second century Greek philosopher um, Celsus, I'm going to say that, um, said Christians were an ignorant folk. Although spoken unkindly, he wasn't entirely wrong. Most Christians were the opposite of the social elite. They, they weren't educated. Paul was, was highly educated and from a higher social class and said that Christians in Corinth were ignorant, powerless, and of obscure birth. Like I'm going, not what you really want to hear in a sermon when you rock up at church. You're all ignorant. Um, well, I won't be using that verse today so much. But but the first three centuries, the Christian majority was a mixed bag that mostly belonged to the, the lower echelons. Scholars were the exception, creating a vast chasm between the rich and the poor, the educated and uneducated Believers of various ethnicities. We had Jewish people. We had Gentile people. Greek and Asian added to this mixture. And the early church found itself striving to unify amongst its hefty differences. To add to this, the early church suffered under intense persecution. Early Christians were, were the religious minority and despised by the unbelieving political and religious majority. They were laughed at, mocked, spat on, falsely accused of sexual crimes and physically forced to submit to a totalitarian government. Life was hard. If given permission, the heavy stresses of the day could consume the most robust believer. 
and rob him of every moment and ounce of joy that they had. However, the early church was far from a joyless bunch. Unifying the body of Christ was a top priority of its leaders and, again, a top priority of Jesus Christ as they sought a faith practice that would surpass all their differences. And one of the major unifiers was the Eucharist or, or, or communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, Eucharist is, is the, the original term for that. And um, again, taking of communion is grounded in gratitude. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked at this idea that Eucharista comes from that term charis, which is, is um, grace and, and, and thanksgiving. And so the Eucharist was a time that they all came together to do what? Thank Jesus. It, it, it wasn't like something that was like a, a vague sort of thing. They came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper where everyone's heart, mind, perspective, focus was turned to saying, thank you, Jesus. As you looked around that room, whichever room that you were in and you celebrated communion, everyone was in the same boat as you. Everyone was in a position where they needed what Christ did on the cross. Everyone was in the same position where they had to thank Jesus for what he had done. Everyone was all of a sudden the same. They were unified through the taking of communion. In the early church, um, the Sabbath, like our, our Sunday, was the first day of the week. The services were not purposed to call the faithful to repentance or make them aware of their sins. Um, their sole purpose for gathering was to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus through communion. It was a service of remembrance and gratitude for God's grace. For every Sabbath was the communion service. The Eucharist was the DNA of the early church um, a worship. And instead of early um, believers saying, on a Sabbath morning, we're going to ch church today. We're going to have the Eucharist today. We, we're going to Eucharist today. That's what, that's what their idea would have been. It wasn't until about the 16th century, um, so a bit before most of your time, um, Christian worship centered around, um, um, until the, the, about the 16th century, communion was the, the focal point of Christian worship. Um, eating together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people in mind. Again, so communion, which is centered in gratitude, becomes this unifying force for the church as everyone gives thanks to Jesus Christ for what he has done on the cross. And so gratitude becomes the pathway to unity for the church. We, again, when we, get, when we looked at last week, we looked at the grumble, the nemesis of, of, of gratitude, the good old Australian whinge. And the thing is, our whinge can very much focus on, on the different things. Oh, the policeman pulled over that car but didn't pull over that car. And it, it happens. I, I've noticed in my life, this, this is my personal whinge at the moment, but like when I had my, my Lancer, I got pulled over so much in that car. Um, and never doing anything wrong. Not because I was speeding in that car. Like they just went, this guy looks dodgy. And um, like I remember the very first time uh, when we first year were in Rockhampton, we'd been here, I think it was maybe the fifth week I was here. 
I actually got pulled over just around the corner and, and they pulled me over and said, where are you going early in this morning? I'm going to church. I'm the pastor. And you could just see them there going, oh, we haven't caught someone. But but the thing is, so much in that car. And then I got the Captiva and it must be a safer car or or something. I only, only sense of people would drive that car or or whatever. But I think I've been pulled over once for a breath test in that car in all the years I've had it. And so sometimes we can go, oh, oh the, the, I've been treated unfairly by this person, but this person hasn't. And so, or, or that person has done this and they, they get rewarded and I do that and I get nothing. And so all of a sudden we begin focusing on our differences. And, and sometimes even in focusing on those differences, we can actually start blaming God because we go, well, in the end, like, God, why didn't you make me more like them? Like we go, there's so many things we can point, well, God, I want to be healthier. I want to be taller. I want to be stronger. I want to be better looking. I want to, I want this. I want that. And why didn't you allow that to happen, God? We, we may not get to that prayer, but that's sort of like where our heart is leading. Cause again, do you, do you think you can pray that way honestly before God? Cause I think that's part of our problem in prayer. We don't, we don't think we can have that honest prayer and saying, God, why didn't you do this in my life? Now, until you have that honest prayer, God won't actually answer that prayer. He's got an answer for you. You may not want to hear it, but he does have an answer for you. It will be a good answer. It'll be much like the book of Job. Job basically prayed all this, God, why have you done this in my life? Now, in the end, God gave him an answer. He didn't actually answer his questions, but by the end of it, Job went, I no longer want to ask my questions. I realize who you are now, God. And so sometimes, and this, this is a side point, so this is writing notes right in the side. This is the thing. Sometimes we need to pray honestly to God because God already knows the way that we feel. And God, he wants to deal with that junk. So if you've got like some junk thoughts that you need to get out, get them out to God. He will not zap you, but he may correct you. He may rebuke you. He may put you on the right path, but he'll do that with love and grace. And so it's better off doing that quickly with God rather than sort of in your heart holding on to this sort of whinge, this grumble that you don't want to get rid of because you go, I've got to be the good Christian. I can't say anything bad to God. God already knows you're saying it. And so so that's just a side point with your, with your prayer. Be honest with God. Um, and so going back to the Eucharist, you have this idea that it was a time of coming together and being grateful to God. And so every, well, in the early church, it was every day they would come together and they would be grateful to God for what he had done. And then in the early church, as it continues, some of the disciples start getting arrested. And what do they do? They continue to come together and be grateful to God. God answers some of their prayer. Some of them, some people die. Like some people are run off, and, but they still came together and they thanked God for what he had done. And so the church was based on this, this gratitude in their life. Um, when, when we look at the, the verses that Hans read earlier, we, we see some things that, that are repeated. And, and, and so we, we see that as they come together, there was joy, there was thanksgiving, there was recognition of what God had done. And, and so there was celebration and God was able to work through them. And so amongst all their differences and stresses, what unified the believers in the practice, spirit, and the, and the mind was gratitude. And so there is a need in our churches. So our church, all churches, God's church, 
for corporate gratitude. There is no tension like tension between the pews, or in our case, chairs. Like, if you are sitting here and you are upset with people around you, or upset with me, or upset at people that aren't here, or, 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 or having sort of animosity growing in your relationships, we, are, we, can be, we need to be well aware that pain and trouble can intentionally or unintentionally cause, um, cause conflict between us. Different passions and convictions fuel much of our trouble within our church. If I ask you this question, I won't get you to yell it out. If I ask you to write it down on a piece of paper and say, what is the most important thing in the church? Do you know what? I don't think I'd get the same answer. And, and there's a good reason for that. I remember years ago, um, I, we'd, we, had, we were doing some training with our youth leaders and our, our youth groups down in South Queensland. And so we had this training day where we had these young leaders coming out from different churches, different ministry focuses, and they came to share with our young people. And the young people got to choose where they wanted to go. And uh, it, was, it was an awesome day. And there was this young guy who was a great musician, um, and I'd been introduced to him. And I said, well, could you come and, and, and run a session on worship? And and the thing was, he he got up and he sort of he started his thing. He said, "Oh, what's the most important thing in church?" And because people were there, go, "Oh, worship, worship." They, they they went, "That's that's the right, that's the answer you're looking for." And he said, "Yes," but at the same time, that may come across in different ways. And as I sat and I listened to different people that day, I went, "Do you know what? For some people who have a passion in a certain area in church, that's what they're going to say is the most important thing." And now then they then they go on to justify that. And that's okay as well. But when you go on to justify that and then say, no, your area is not the most important, that's where the issues come. Because this is the thing. If you're passionate about kids and you say kids are the most important thing in church, I agree with you. If you say marriages are the most important thing in church and strengthening and having godly marriages, then I agree with you. If you say youth are the most important person people in the church, then I would say yes. If you said women are more the most important people in the church, well, next Sunday it will be an absolute yes, and every other Sunday it will be a yes. But at the same time, people can come up to me, and again, there are, there are these major discussions to be had. Like men, it is important that we minister well to men in the church, but it doesn't take away the importance of ministering to other people. We've got to minister to families. We've got to minister to young adults. We've got to minister to, to the people that aren't so young as well. They are important. And I am I'm truly grateful that our church has cottoned on to that idea. We, we do our best to, and, and we again, we're, we're stretching a few areas at the moment, but we are a growing church and we have an, an ability to focus on different people and different areas of our church and say equally that these people, these that make up our church are important for us. These passions that we have come collectively and we can say, thank God for that. But if we let those passions be a divisive thing, it can be a problem. We can get to the point where we can use such phrases, this is how I want things to go, or this is how I see it, or that's not what I think. If you could only see things my way, any of that sound familiar? Is it words that have come out of your mouth? 
If only the pastor would go shorter, I would come back more often. We know good and well that when good people with deeply felt passions within the church bump heads, things can go south quickly. In Romans 3, 20 to 24, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God have been made, made known, to which the law, of the, prophets, law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all that believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You know what? Back in Wesley's day, when Wesley first started out being as an Anglican minister, church was was very different. Um, this is one of the things that I think God worked in his heart and he had really changed the way that he ministered through his life, was that basically the people in the pews paid for their seat, which basically paid for the, the, the priest. So this caused problems for a few things. One... Church was for wealthy people. Secondly, if you're the pastor, you don't want to upset those wealthy people because if they're not paying for their seat in church, all of a sudden you get to the point going, I'm not going to be making a living doing this. And so all of a sudden they would preach what the people wanted to hear. I didn't want to upset anyone. But the thing is, when we come to church, we are all, we are all on the same footing. We are all on the same foundation. Each one of you here, myself included, I'll bring myself down for this bit. We are all on the same level because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of you are ahead of line of me and there is no point in my life that I can say, well, I'm closer than you guys. The only time I could say that is when I'm sort of closer to the end. Like that's probably the only way I can even say that that statement. But it goes on in, in that passage in Romans saying that all who believe are justified by what Jesus has done. And that gives us reason for, for our gratitude, our reason for giving thanks that we are all in the same boat together. We are either with Christ and accepting what he has done for us, or not, not accepting or ignoring what he's done for us, or we are, um, wait a second, let me go back in. We are with Christ, and we are, we are all in the same boat going towards what his journey for us, or we have rejected Jesus. And again, some of our rejections aren't hard and fast rejections. They are like we can, some people who are atheists and saying, well, I don't believe in God. I don't want to, that God fairy is a term that I hear used quite a bit. I don't want to, that's all rubbish. Let's get rid of all the myths in the Bible and, and not follow any of that stuff. Yeah, those people have made a choice. Some of us make a choice because we want what we want more than we want what God wants. And so we choose to kind of ignore God little by little, little by little, until we're in the same boat over here. And so... 
we do need to get into a position where we go, well, it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I'm sin-free. It's not that I'm, I've been a Christian for 20 years and so that makes me more of a Christian than you. It comes down to every day accepting the grace of God in our life for, so that we can live in the life that God wants for us. That's what it comes down to. And each one of us are in that same boat. Whether you are young, I'm not sure who the youngest one is here today, but whether you are our youngest or whether you are our oldest, we are all in that same boat. And so if you are 102, you need God's grace. And it gives you a reason to thank God. If you are two years old, you may not understand it, but yeah, you... You need God's grace, and you can be thankful for God for that as well. And the thing is, understanding this focuses us to be gracious in a world that so much wants to pull us apart and divide us. Just look at social media and you will see the division in a fit of hurt, anger, or frustration, we need to check our loving hearts, God-given conscience and spirit of grace before we get behind a screen. I don't, I don't know about you, like sometimes reading stuff on the internet just builds up anger. And it doesn't have to even be stuff that it can be. I remember one time there was a church that I knew of and they were posting photos of their big music team and their trumpets and everything else. And do you know what? my response was, because I'm such a holy person, envy. Envy came up in me. I'm going, well, of course you've got that. Like, of course you've done all that. And, and I went, as soon as I went that, that's not a good thing for me to have when I read that. Like, oh, that's not producing godliness in my life. That's not producing a good attitude. And It's not actually, I'm not focusing on being thankful for what I've got. I'm envious over what you've got and I don't have. And so we've actually got to check ourselves in situations like that um, because, again, sometimes our, our desire to be right overcomes the need for us to be in right relationship. And not, not with God. God. God is right all the time. He can tell us he's right all the time. Uh, often God is more gracious than we, are great, than we are with people that in our lives. And so we, we need to be in that position that we, we don't need to be right all the time. We don't need to be sort of pointing out all, all the things that are wrong. We, we need to be thankful. We need to be um, holding on to that gratitude. Um, um, again, years ago, I, I remember um, it was just on TV the other night, the, the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, not a movie for the faint-hearted, um, but good story overall. And in that movie, Private Ryan is played by Matt Damon. And so Tom Cruise and his um, the, the, the army people with him are sent off to find this, this one guy somewhere in Germany because all of his other brothers have died at war and they do not want the mother to lose her last son. That's the whole whole premise of the movie, and it goes through. Anyway, that's that's the movie. My friends and I, my church friends and I, uh, one night were uh, after church having 
takeout, Hungry Jacks or something like that, and we were discussing the movie, and everyone was adamant that not only was Matt Damon in the movie, but Ben Affleck was in the movie. Because Ben Affleck, and at that time, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they went in the movies together. So, of course, he's in that one. And so all of a sudden, all the everyone I was with was sort of arguing, going, oh, no, yep, it's, it's, he's in the movie. And this was the days before Google. So for some of you guys, you don't know what that is. Like you couldn't Google it. Um, you couldn't jump on your phone and look it up. Um, phones rang people in those days. That's kind of all they did. So it was very unexciting. But the one thing we had right near where we had the, um, the, the where we're having our, our takeout, was, again, for some of the young people, it's called a video store. Um, these were things where we actually went somewhere and hired something and took it home and watched it and brought it back the next day. Whereas these guys, you just go, I'm going to stream it, I'm going to stream it, I'm going to stream it. Um, and so where we spent hours looking through a video store for something to watch, you guys spend hours trying to find something on TV worth watching. So just a different... different um, but in saying all that... So I went to the video store with one other person. We looked at the, the video case because it was just out on the DVD and we found it and went, oh, I'm right. Now, of course, being the gracious person that I am, I came back with all humility and said, I was right and you're wrong. I was the one person that was right or you were wrong. But again, that, that didn't bring us together. But the flip side doesn't work either because you can have people in our world who agree with the wrong thing and and that popular idea is made to be right because it's popular. There are lots of things in our world that are, are popular or people will say this is what we need to do but aren't right. And so the thing is we've got to find ways of, of coming together. Disagreement left unchecked leads to a poisonous spirit and where a spirit of grumbling dwells within the church, there is no spirit of, of gratitude but a spirit of divisiveness. And while backbiting and argumentativeness um, continue, the evil one delights as we battle believers under the battle of righteousness. When we, when we come into church and we end up fighting amongst ourselves to get our way or this way or that way, and, and again, I am... I am so grateful that I don't see this much in our church. Again, a growing church, you may see that happening more and more. And so it's it's something that as we grow in maturity, gratitude needs to stay at our core as we come together collectively. See, the early church understood that the remedy for keeping out this spirit of division was to embrace a spirit of grace. Paul and the early church father preached this, a gospel of grace. They knew if we would slow down, choose gratitude, and thank God for one another, we would live like Christ. And ultimately they knew this was the way to make a difference in the world. You know, it is, it is a problem when the, when the world looks at the church and the church is divided. They dismiss what we're saying. They 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 ignore like when we when we talk about loving each other and we don't love each other, all of a sudden it it, less, it weakens our voice, 
and our opportunity to, to speak God's truth. So what if we express gratitude for one another? What if we said words of thanks, wrote words of thanks, and prayed words of thanks? If we make a gratitude a habit, our hearts will soften to one another. And eventually, what we have in common will outweigh our differences. The psalmist understood the power of gratitude, which is why he told us, uh, he told us, entrance into the gates of the Lord was through words of thanksgiving and songs of praise. So if we are meant to be a church unified through gratitude, what's going to be our homework this week? Can't, can't send you home without any homework. The thing is, do you take time to be thankful for the church that you're in? Like again, there are there are going to be. If we look for things that we to annoy you, you will find them. Um, please don't. You're all looking at me. I'm feeling very judged right now. Like um, looking for ways to to annoy you. Everyone looks at me. Um, but the thing is, we do need to get to a place where we are regularly, even if it's just in our prayers, thanking God for the people that we have and the blessings that we bring. And and do you know the thing that I, I love doing is when I find out something new about people and all of a sudden, whether that's something that God uses in, in two years' time or ten years' time, I go, oh, that's an interesting thing. Like, um, Thank you that God has brought that in my, in my life. Thank you that God has provided people that can serve in different ways. Like, I don't know if, again, like I, I probably have a, a, a different perspective on our church at times than, than most of you, and, and I, I see how God, you know, if, if something's leaking, you put your finger and stop the gaps. You know, for years it felt like I was doing that and, and toes, and all of a sudden God hasn't just put his fingers in place. He's like giving me a new boat. And, and people have come in and, and people have stepped down from one thing and then God has supplied someone else and, and then people are wanting to do this and people are generous in this area and, and people are building relationships over here and I'm going, God, this is amazing. I'm so thankful for this, for this group. I'm, I'm thankful in this church for the people that feed me and encourage me. But then as I was preparing this, I'm going, are there people in, in, my, in the church who are going, maybe because of ignorance, maybe because of frustration, some of those divisiveness things that maybe I'm not thankful for. And I need to get to a point where if there are people that I'm struggling in relationship with, I need to find ways to be thankful for that they are here. And maybe that's something that I need to do is I need to go up to people and say, hey, we don't know each other very well. Let's get to know each other. Let's find, like, let's share our God stories with each other and, 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 and go on that journey together or, or show up in, in those times of need or even, hey, how have you been doing? And seriously sort of mean those things. But if, if I'm doing that, do you know, those are things that we all can do. We can all be in a position where, we can grow in relationship with people and then we, we become, again, thanking God, focusing on that. We are thankful for the church that God has placed us in and the people that come with it. Now, some people are a challenge. Some days you will be that challenge. 
other days you'll be the person who can show grace. And so if you want to be shown grace, if you want a church that's thankful that you are here, then you've got to work on this idea that we've got to be thankful and gracious to those around us as well. So homework for this week. Be thankful for the people you have. And again, you might want to get really specific. You might want to write down, I've got a, a pastor an older pastor that he basically says he, he, he divides up his days and who he prays for. And every time he rings me, I pray for you every Tuesday. So you might want to bake people into groups and pray for them every day. That's a lot of praying. That's okay. Like We can do that. Um, we can pray. We can thank God for our children in the church. We can Thank God for our families. We can thank God for this. We can thank God for our musicians. We thank God for our leaders. And all of a sudden, like for some of you, you've filled up your week already. Like, you know, anyone out there, when I come to pray, I don't know what to pray about. Just giving you a whole heap. And, and again, as you start praying for some of these people, you could come up to them and say, hey, I want to pray for you every Wednesday. Is there anything I can be praying? I really appreciate what you do around the church. How can I be praying for you? Now, again, they may have a huge list. They may have two things. They might come back to you with some things. But isn't that a way we can be thankful for people in our church by praying for them? Even for the people that come in and help out where they can, for the people that do those unseen things, let's be thankful for them. Let's be thankful for for what God is doing in our lives. And as we share that, all of a sudden, like even what Brenda shared this morning becomes encouragement to us all. God has done something in my life. God is at work. Praise God. And we can add that to our testimony. So I'm going to finish it right there. I really want to thank you um, as a church, but I want to encourage you to be a church of gratitude, one focusing and being having our gratitude directed toward God, but thanking God for, for the people he's placed around us. Thanking for, for God for the people that came before us. And thank God for the people that are still coming and going to be a part of our church. Let's just do that together. Lord, um, yeah, you've, you've heard what I said this morning. I, I, I do thank you for this church, for everyone that makes this uh, a body of believers, um, a family that gathers together. Lord, I, I do want to um, just help us to, to continue to show our gratitude together as we focus on you and all that you have done and, and continue to do. But Lord, I also want to pray that um, we are able to be thankful for, for, for everyone around us and, and what they bring and what they put into our church. I pray that we are able to mature and to grow um, with each other in relationship. Um, those areas of frustration, may they be overcome through your grace. And may we seek to mature and may we always have at our core this attitude of gratitude as we grow with you and we pray this in your name amen